I did the most stupid thing you could possibly imagine. I put all £58,000 in a huge number of different ways, essentially on one horse. Um, called Mike Bike. Um, and if that horse won at the time, my thinking was, right, I've won the money back. I can pay everybody back. And if it loses, well, there's no way that I can tell anybody anything that I've done for the last 13 years. And I, and, and I watched that race. I watched my horse come second by a couple of lengths. My whole world come crashing down. Welcome everyone to another episode of Chapters, the Athlete Career Podcast. I'm your host Craig Walsh and today we have the powerful story of Patrick Foster to share with you. But before we dive in, I'd really like you to do me a favour and subscribe to this podcast or share with someone you may feel benefit from it. It costs nothing to subscribe, but it really makes a massive difference to the show. So today's episode features a remarkable story from our guest Patrick Foster. Patrick, a former professional cricketer, tells us about how gambling took hold of his life, which became so severe that he contemplated dying by suicide. In this episode, we'll explore the prevalence of gambling within the sports world, especially among athletes who find themselves with time and money at their disposal. Patrick's story is not just about struggles, it's about resilience and the courage to confront the complexities of life after sport. But before we jump in, a huge thank you to Patrick for being so candid about his experiences. I recorded this conversation with Patrick back in December 2023, and in a strange coincidence, Patrick's book might bite the paperback version is released the day after this podcast is going out live a link to patrick's book will be in the podcast description notes below and you can find the book there in this episode we do discuss the themes of suicide and gambling if you're experiencing feelings of distress despair or suicidal thoughts you can call samaritans in the uk on 116123 if you are in the UK and are struggling with a gambling problem, you can call the National Gambling Helpline on 0808802033. So without further ado, let's hear from Patrick Foster. Uh, the reason I wanted to get you on is you're a former cricketer who um, obviously went through some difficulties after, the, after your cricket career finished. And I thought that's very prevalent in today's kind of environment of... Um, gambling that was your those were, that was your kind of dark time wasn't it yeah absolutely um i think for me at the time i probably underestimated the significance of falling out of professional sport and the impact that that had on me um in hindsight and looking back i realized that um it was huge and i probably didn't handle it um as well as I could and, and perhaps should have done. Um, and I think there's numerous reasons for that. Um, and definitely that was the catalyst for the problems that I had. Um, it would be very easy for me to sit here and claim that I wasn't a professional cricketer for a long time because of a gambling problem. That's not the truth. Um, and that's not the case, as it is for some people. Um, my problems were very much after um a short sort of professional career as it were you wanted to be a cricketer that was your main goal wasn't it that was your kind of dream that's what you love doing 
Yeah, absolutely. I think my whole life from when I was very young, I had one dream in life and, and that was to be a professional sportsman. To tell the truth, I didn't really care what sport it was in because I loved playing all sorts of different sports. Um, but as kind of I went through my teenage years, it was clear that cricket was probably um, the one that I had the best chance of um, and the one that I enjoyed and, and loved the most. And that kind of dream, so to speak, came true when I was 15 years old. Um, and I started on the Northamptonshire Cricket Academy and I, I began to kind of combine education with pursuing a career in, in professional sport. Um, and then when I was 18 years old, when I left school, um, things got even better when I actually signed a professional contract and I got the opportunity to to live that dream um, Did you feel for a couple of at years. That time, or was it still enjoyment? Um, I think a combination of the two. I think a lot of the pressure actually in my case came from me um, because it was something that I'd been so desperate for. Um, but again, looking back, I think one of the lessons that I've learned, um, and it's so easy to say now, but I didn't realize it at the time, is, is I think when I signed that contract, when that kind of dream became a reality, that's when... I kind of thought, well, I've made it now um, and I'm going to spend however long now doing it. But I think the reality is that's actually when the hard work has to start. Yeah. Um, and that that's actually only the very beginning of it. Um, and I think I probably made that mistake. I didn't realize it at the time, but I do now. Yeah, because I actually spoke to a footballer called Mark O'Brien who who he got a contract um, at Derby County at the age of 16. And then within a few months, he was in the first team and made his debut at 16. And I think what was good for him was he went back to Dublin and all of his family said, You've, you just started, you have to stay on this track now. Don't start thinking you're really big bollocks. You know, you have to really, uh, this, is where the hard work, this is where the hard work starts. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just going to add to that. I think also with me, I was I was obviously talented and good at what I did. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't have reached the level that I did. But I also wasn't supremely talented and gifted. A lot of what made me reach where I did was like an unbelievable work ethic and, and hard work. And again, to maintain that, that has to keep going. Um and I think it was probably at that point, um, along with the fact that I tried to combine it with being at university, which some people have done very successfully, um, I just couldn't. Um, and that's when distractions started to get in the way that mm. I just couldn't afford to to let get in the way. And, and and I've got a lot of regrets, but but that's probably one of the biggest is I don't feel like I gave it as good a go as, as I probably could and should have done. And and going back to kind of the point at the beginning, I think that was probably what led to a lot of, of the troubles that then followed. So, yeah. So is it is that quite, is it still the same today that there can be a, a young cricketer who's 18 who would dual be at university and have a contract as well? Or is that kind of... Yeah, it's it's it does still happen. It's not quite as um, kind of... Um, 
normal as it used to be um, and part of that is because the system's just changed a little bit with the universities that don't have the first class status that they did when when I was there um, a lot of it's to do with funding but also I think a recognition that actually it is very difficult for people to do both yeah. um, for good reason I think so you went to university and is that when whilst you were still had a contract at North Ants, is that when the opportunity to gamble started to be, be available to you or had you gambled before? Yeah, I mean, in in my personal experience, I hadn't gambled before I went to university. Mm. Um, I, I can't say I wasn't like aware of it in the sense that I knew people gambled, um, but it just wasn't something that I'd ever done. It wasn't part of my life, my family's life. I guess you didn't have the same access and exposure that you do now. It isn't. It wasn't so ingrained in culture and society. Um, but at university, that's where I where I found it um, very early on at my time at university. Yeah, I mean, when I first started doing it, I, I think the fact that my first bet was a winning bet had a huge impact. But um, I'm not going to lie, I I absolutely loved it. I found something that I I just um loved so much loved doing so much and and when i first started like it like it is for a lot of people it it was fun um it was time and money that i guess i could have afford i could afford to lose um and it wasn't a problem um but what it was 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 probably a distraction it was there were things that i could have done that would have been certainly more sensible things to do with my time and money um but it, I wasn't addicted straight away, and as as I said, it wasn't it wasn't the thing that stopped me achieving a successful career in professional sport. But it certainly didn't help. You were still playing cricket at university, weren't you? I'm yeah, um, yeah, and I, I think also cricket is is a strange sport in the sense that you only really play in in the summer mm, um, for a few months of the year. Um, so whilst I was at university, particularly in the winter, of course, I had to train. I was in the nets. I was in the gym. I was doing all the things I had to, but that doesn't take up all your Not too time. Yeah. No, exactly. And I, I, I found dealing with a lot of time very yeah. difficult as a student. Mm-hmm. Um, and the student lifestyle, I was, I was bored, but also I had access to money that a lot of other people didn't because I was being paid to play cricket. I mean, that's an interesting point. That, and that's what one of my questions was. Do you think that's why we hear stories of athletes, whether they're former athletes or current athletes, who do get into this, this gambling problem because they have more time on their hands. They might train until maybe only 11 o'clock. They're not doing a nine to five like other people. And also they have access to money that is just way beyond what we could Understand, understand, especially Premier League. Obviously, is kind of astronomical. But even players in Championship, and I'm talking about footballers now, um, they have more time and more money available to them, which could lead to distraction. Absolutely. I mean, I would say that I think there's several reasons why it's so prevalent in athletes. Um, I think the first is is time. Um, as you just articulated brilliantly, you do have more time than other people do. Um, the second is money. You have access to money. 
Um, you have probably more disposable income and therefore you kind of think, well, I can afford to gamble and lose. Can be replaced next week. Still, Yeah, still afford to do what everybody else is doing. Um, I think one of the biggest things is, is the kind of competitive nature. Um, that's one thing that every athlete has and possesses that makes them good at what they do but I think it makes them very bad at gambling because I always describe gambling as a as a drug for competitive people because it, it is all about winning and losing and when you're competitive if you lose you don't stop until you win and then when you win you love that feeling so much um chase it and that was that was definitely a problem for me um I think often it's and I, I probably fell into this category. I think sometimes naively it's seen as a bit of a healthy form of escapism. Um, the high pressure octane environment of professional sport means that you, you do need a release at times. Um, and it's important for people to find something where they can kind of switch off. And, and so often drugs, alcohol, other addictive substances and behaviors well, I'm, I'm not going to go near those because of the potential consequences. So gambling's kind of seen as something that, oh, I can do. That... So what's wrong? Exactly. What could be wrong and, with it? Yeah, and it's it's not harmful. Well, it it clearly is for some people. Sure. Um, so I think you, you kind of put all those things into a melting pot and it, it then starts to become very clear why so many people... Um, do struggle with it who are or have been um, professional athletes and and for a lot of people it might not be a problem when they're playing um, but it's it's more of a problem when they stop because then also the kind of buzz replication the feelings of kind of instant response instant reaction and gratification that you get when you're playing sport that goes away and, and gambling's for some people the closest thing you can find um, to that and it, it certainly was for me Mm. I mean, um, I'm in the in your book, um, which I'll put a link to in the in the description. Mike Bite, this is what you talked about: is the rush you 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 were especially if you were injured, you were missing that rush of playing cricket, and you had to replicate that by or you found you needed to replicate that rush by gambling and trying to win in the gambling arena rather than on the cricket pitch. Yeah, exactly that, and I think the fact that it it's still so often part of sport as well um the the two things you're still connected to sport in some way and um for me that was that was a huge thing um as as well as it being a kind of form of escapism a way of kind of running away from how i was i was feeling because when i was wrapped up in that moment of having a bet whether it was watching a horse race, spinning a roulette wheel, whatever it was, it was like nothing else in the world existed. Yeah. Um, and that was like a drug for me because actually those few minutes that a horse was running, I didn't I didn't think or worry about anything else. It was like that was the only thing in, in my life and that was really addictive. Mm. I found the book... Um, sorry. First of all, a really good book. Really, congratulations on its success as well. I, to say I enjoyed it, it would be a strange way of it. It, it was. It was. I felt quite on edge reading it because I felt it. I was 
prying in a way, you know, because you were very honest about uh, kind of how how your thought process was just completely um, blinded, and you really gambling made you do anything. You know, especially when you talked about how you um, went to help your parents with Christmas shopping and. You used the debit card to buy the shopping, but also just went in to do a cheeky bet, you know, in inverted commas. These kind of things, I suppose, it's, this isn't just going to be for athletes. This is going to be for anyone. If there's addiction, it's going to, uh, there's potential to cloud judgment, isn't there? Yeah, and and I think the power of addiction is, is frightening. Um, the hold that it takes over you, the fact that, I mean, I'd lost my morals, my values, my principles. Um, my kind of decision-making was so irrational. Um, but that is what the addiction was doing to me. And, and I would not let anything get in the way of of my addiction. And, of course, now I look back and, and it, it makes me feel sick. And a lot of people read the book and, and they go, I spent most of the time screaming sort of thinking please just stop yeah. why why didn't why didn't you stop um you, i couldn't yeah. um and that that's the really scary bit of it um there were so many times i mean on a on a day daily basis where no one was more desperate for me to stop than myself but i i just couldn't and bef- almost before i'd had time to process the thought of stopping I'd already placed another bet and I was already back in the, the cycle and the merry-go-round, so to speak, that, that was my addiction. Can you just tell tell us a little bit about the time you had a big win? Um, and uh, the reason I saw this was because, obviously reading the book, but I remember a few years ago uh, on Twitter or X, whatever, someone uh, kind of posted that they got a, a big win on an accumulator or something, 30,000 or something. And because I followed you, um, you commented saying, congratulations, but please be careful. Uh, there will be consequences if you keep, uh, I, I'm paraphrasing, but um, it was very interesting to see someone give their almost advice just to go, please stop in a way, you know, uh, uh, that kind yeah. of thing. So could you just tell us a little bit about this win that you had and how that kind of developed yeah I actually remember that really well um I I think what a lot of people don't realize about gambling is when you win is potentially when you're most vulnerable because at that point you kind of think you're invincible you think that that will happen again or every time you do it and when it doesn't well, it doesn't really matter because I'm now gambling with, with money that I've won. So therefore, if I lose it, who cares? Um, but also that's when, and, and you have to be slightly careful about using this term, but I think it's accurate. That's when for me it became just like a drug because from that moment onwards, if I if I didn't win that amount of money, of course the feeling, the rush, the buzz wasn't as big. Um and overnight, my stakes went from being £10, £20, £50, which is a lot for some people, to to overnight being £1,000, £2,000, £5,000, because the end goal was always to better 
the £35,000 that I I just won and of course then reality set in and, and I started to to lose and and then the losing you then want it back as quickly as you can and of course then when you start to lose even more you start to have emotions that come with that and and then gambling starts to become different because it's a way of quashing those feelings and and you're just then in a vicious circle and I I always say to people now if if you do choose to gamble and you win and you win big which that many people do that the best thing you'll ever do is is not do it again um because ultimately the chances are you'll you'll lose everything that that you won and and that's very easy for me to say but I think it's really important for people to understand or at that point to say okay I've just won like I did I've just won 35,000 pounds the most important thing now is that I do something sensible or, or meaningful with it rather than it being well now I've got 35,000 pounds to gamble with which is the mindset of a lot of gamblers whether they like it or not or say it or not mm. were you um at what age did you have that win i was 22 um, okay so i just was, finished university a, yeah i was a year into my time working in london okay um yeah i was i was 22 um and of course now i look back and I think what I could have done with 35,000 pounds and as I say I try not to have too many what ifs and if onlys but but that's a big one and how was gambling mixed in with your just going back to the cricket as you had the two years with North Ants were you already gambling whilst at your time at North Ants yeah it was really in my second year my first year the year after I left school I wasn't gambling at all because I'd I'd never done it and and I was super professional, um, okay. and I was no surprises. I was much more successful. And actually, the year after I left school, I I had an amazing year, and and things progressed probably quicker and better than I expected. Then in my second year, as a as a full time professional, so to speak, gambling then became part of it, and I wasn't so successful. Um, I wasn't as professional. It was then kind of part of it and and as I say and I'll, I'll say again it it wasn't the reason but it definitely played its part um mm. and also I encountered things in that year that I didn't in the year before like a, a period of of injury which I didn't deal with very well and and is often um again a trigger for some people having a problem because of everything that comes with with being injured um, time, frustration, um, all those things. And um, I just recognized that I I didn't handle that very well. But also, I think I didn't lean on the support of, of people around me. Um, and and we I've used the word regret a lot already. Um, but when it comes specifically to my sporting career, I think one of my biggest regrets is that I always thought showing any sort of vulnerability or was weakness when actually now I realize it's strength and courage. I, I did a talk in a, a county cricket club a few years ago. Um, and one of the guys that sat in the room listening to me was the strength and conditioning coach who who's an, an amazing guy who I actually lived with. Um, 
And one of the things that he said to me kind of after it was like, why didn't you, why didn't you talk to me about it? Um, and I said, well, that's not a reflection of you as a person or as an individual. It was, it was me. It was because, well, I thought if I admit that I'm really struggling with this period of injury or I've started gambling and it's having a bigger effect on me than I thought it would, I thought the consequences would be very different to what they were. And actually, if I'd turned around at that point and said, I'm struggling, yeah, I need support with this, I would have got it. Yeah. Um, and things could have gone very differently. And it's it's one of the most important messages that I try and get across to young people, whether they're aspiring professional athletes or not, is this kind of concept of when whatever it is that you might be struggling with, to ask for support, advice, lean on other people is is far from being a sign of weakness. Um, and the difference it makes is, is huge. I mean, obviously that was... Um... Are we talking maybe 15 years ago that you were at university? That kind of, is that correct? Around 2008? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so exactly. I'm sure there's been uh, an advancement with support for younger cricketers through the PCA. I'm sure that, I'm sure that there would have been someone to listen to and wanted to listen if they thought that you needed that, um, that, that help. Yeah. I mean, without doubt. I mean, the support now that's available for athletes and, and young people is is incredible and it's come an awful long way and it's it's really important both while they're playing but also when they transition out out of the game or out of the sport whatever that might be that wasn't the case when I got released and when I finished but you're right there were still people that I could have talked to um I think one of the big things with something like gambling um is I think that's also changed because I think people view it differently to how they used to yeah. view it. And it's easy for me to say now, but I think in 2007, if I'd said I had a gambling problem, the reaction I would have got would would have been different to what it would be now. Um, what do you mean? And that's that's great. Um, I I think it would have people would have d- dismissed it. Um, in, in a way that almost like it's a flutter, yeah. Or well, it's simple. You've you've just got to just, stop. Whereas whereas actually, I think if in two thousand seven, I'd said I had a, a, I was struggling with alcohol or drugs, I think I probably would have been supported in a different way. Mm. Um, that's my opinion, but I think a lot of people would agree with me, and I think that's one of the really positive changes when it comes to to this space it's the recognition that for some people it, it is a serious problem and it is an addiction just like other addictions mm. i mean that, this is something that paul merson spoke about how he uh yeah with with alcohol and drugs there's a certain amount you can take before you're just gonna be knocked out and with gambling it's just if there's battery on your phone or your computer's there or the bookies are, you can just keep going back until you run out of money it's just this endless uh yeah, en- endless opportunities i suppose there's no physical reaction to it is there apart from in your case uh anxiety which i recognize from the from the book yeah i think when paul merson talks about that compared to the other things that he struggled with it's really really powerful mm. um and ultimately the only the only thing you need to gamble is money and 
yes, not everybody has an endless bottomless pit of money, but there is always sadly ways to get money as as I found out or for a lot of people it's crime, it's theft, it's but there's no repercussions on you physically. There's only so much alcohol you can drink before your body shuts down and you're sick and pass out. That's it. Whereas gambling is just twenty four seven for me, all through the day, all through the night and it just kept mm-hmm. going. Um just talking about you know, how you access money, I mean, again that that was other other times where I've read it where I was just kind of I was gripping the the table and was like what the the um the ability that you were able to uh borrow money from people to co- to continue this gambling do you mind talking about that a little bit and where you were in your career there because you changed careers by that point hadn't you yeah um I'm pretty open about it it's not something I'm proud of um but I think when it comes to um access to money and borrowing money it was it was very different in my case um, to a lot of people's. When I first started borrowing money, I did it in a kind of conventional way in the sense that I borrowed money from banks, credit cards, loan companies, payday loans. Um, but of course, at some point that was going to run out and, and access to that was, was going to stop. And it was at that point that I then started to explore an avenue that I think was probably unique me um in the sense that by that point i was i was teaching i was teaching in a school where i was surrounded by a lot of people that were very wealthy i had access to that information i knew that um but i also had really good relationships with these people and i started to take advantage of them um and i started to lie to people about why i needed money and people liked respected me they were worried about me they ultimately had the money to lend me I promised to pay them back, but I didn't pay a penny back because I gambled it all away. Um, and it's something that eats me up every day um, because I can't believe that I did that. I also can't believe that I was so believable, but I but I clearly was. Um, and I, I think for some people at that point where all that money dries up, that's the point where they may turn to crime or or that's the point where they seek support but one of the problems for me is I was able to maintain it for such a long time because Mm. I just had this kind of constant stream of money Um, and it also allowed me to to gamble the extent that I did in in terms of the financial side of things which obviously now is is costing me um, as it as it should be but it was unique um and i also say that i was also able to maintain it for such a long time because people weren't able to to spot the signs as easily as they might be in other people because so often the mistake people make is they they view it purely through a financial lens so they think well this person must have a gambling problem because they haven't got any money so they've gambled all away i did have money because i was borrowing such significant amounts of money that I had money that I could gamble with, but also money that I could then live with and, and maintain this kind of double life where in front of people, it was normal. I was doing things that people do. I was going out for dinner. I was going on holiday. But underneath it all, the gambling was just running alongside it. And it it, it, it was literally a double life. And that the title of your book, My Bite, regarding this uh, horse that you wanted to bet on. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, it was one of the easiest things about writing the book was the title. Um, it just came to me straight away um, for obvious reasons because it was the name of the horse that was kind of the final straw, so to speak. But also it's it's a little bit of a play on words in the sense that for a lot of people it, it, it might bite. And when it does when it does bite, it, it bites really hard. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of what happened to me, at, at, I knew at some point I was going to get found out. There was no way I could sustain what was going on. I just didn't know when that was going to be. Um, and I, I guess to cut a long story short, I, I got found out. And at that point, I knew the implications were going to be so significant because I knew that I was going to lose my job. There was no way I could carry on being a teacher at any school, let alone that one. Um, I knew I was going to lose my house that came as part of my job that I lived in with my girlfriend who didn't know anything about this. And I thought at that point, well, there's going to be criminal implications as well because I've, I've committed fraud to a degree um i've stolen money in different ways i've i've forged signatures on contracts and guarantor loans and all those sorts of things um and so then at that point it had kind of been well it's it's almost a matter of life and death and i think the irony of a gambling addiction which is the only thing that's different from other addictions is often the only thing you think is going to solve the problem is the thing that's caused it. Um, no alcoholic has ever tried to drink themselves sober, but as a gambling addict, you think, well, it's all about the money. All I need to do to solve this problem is to win the money back that I need to pay everybody back. Yes, I might lose my house and my job as far as I was concerned, but at least I don't go to prison. At least everybody gets their money back and life can continue. Um, and so I tried to gamble my way out of the problem, um, during the Cheltenham Festival in 2018. Um, I won, I lost as you do it, it, it's, I can never explain how stressful it was, but time was against me. I didn't have time on my side and it was running out. And, and then on the Thursday, I guess I had one bit of luck that I don't think will ever happen again. And, and the money that I'd started with at the beginning of that week had become 50, uh, over 50,000 pounds, 58,000 pounds, I think it was. And that to uh, most people is an extraordinary amount of money. It's a life-changing sum of money. But to me at that moment in my life, it, it was worth nothing. It was, wasn't real. It was a number in the top right-hand corner of a computer screen. But in my situation, it, it just had to be 10 times that amount um and so on the friday which was the last day of the festival um i did the most stupid thing you could possibly imagine but the only way i could justify it to anybody i ever speak to is by saying weirdly at that moment in my life it actually felt like the right thing to do and and my only option i put it all fifty-eight thousand pounds in a huge number of different ways essentially on one horse um called might bite um and if that horse won at the time, my thinking was, right, I've won the money back. I can pay everybody back. I can I do all the things that I've just said. And, and if it loses, well, there's no way that I can tell anybody anything that I've done for the last 13 years. And 
uncover my biggest secret i'm i'm gonna go and do the unthinkable and kill myself um and and, and i watched that race i watched my horse come second by a couple of lengths and my whole world come crashing down um i say now it's maybe other than the birth of my son it's the it's the best thing that's ever happened to me because um at that point yes what happened over the course of the next sort of couple of days um was far from pleasant it was ultimately the reason that i did finally reach out for support tell somebody and could get the help that deep down i was so desperate for um and and was the start of a new journey um Mm -hmm. so whilst it appeared to be the end of the world literally it's it's the start of another yeah that was through the support of your brother wasn't it yeah i mean i think i i didn't know who to turn to i never did I, i didn't want to turn to anybody um but for various different reasons it was at that point that i reached out to my brother who's my best mate um and I I said for the first time, this is where I've got to in life. Um, I've been hiding a big secret and I don't want to be here anymore. I think if he'd known quite where I was and the proximity to what I was about to do, he may have reacted in a different way to what he did. Um, but he didn't realize that. And, and he, at that point, just essentially turned around to me and said look don't like don't you dare um <laughs> because there's too many people that won't be able to cope with the fallout um just talk like talk to us um i think a lot of people recognized i was struggling but nobody could really put their finger on on what it was and it was the reassurance that actually the support would be there and and there was a way out um but people just needed to know um and i think it was the first time in i would say 13 years that i finally put people for other people first um and that stopped me doing what i was about to do and it was obviously the best decision i ever made and i went home and i came clean um and the rest is history that then led on to you kind of, I suppose, I don't want to paraphrase you, but are you kind of trying to pa- pa- uh, repay what you did by educating others? That led on to a different path for you to kind of tell your story of what happened to you and that you don't want others to go through what you went through. A hundred percent. I mean, I think there's various reasons why I do what I do now. I think the main one is because I want to help other people um, and I, I don't want one person to ever be in the situation that I was in um, and it's not just specifically related to gambling it's it could be related to anything people go through all sorts of different things in life and have to deal with adversity in different ways but it it was to try and show people that however bad it gets that there is there is a way out um, and that was the the main thing. It it's also good for me. It's cathartic. Um, it feels like I'm giving something back after taking an awful lot away, which is important to me. And 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 hopefully, 
turning what was a, a, a huge negative um, into a, a kind of positive. Um, that is also a, a kind of selfish motivation. Um, but yeah, I think the and the final reason is because it's just so relevant and topical. Mm. Um, and I guess my story was was one that is becoming more and more the narrative is changing. But I think one of the misconceptions around addiction and mental health is how people can continue to be very high functioning and at times extremely successful but be going through stuff that nobody knows about. But actually the fact that if you are that person, it will always it will always catch up with you. Um, and that was important to me, was to try and kind of change some of the perceptions, misconceptions, stereotypes that, that come with this this kind of world. And yeah, because I spoke to Luke Sutton uh, last week, this time last week. He's a little bit older than both of us. When he was in his cricket career, I asked him, was there more of a drinking culture? And what kind of, what uh, you know, what was he worried about now for athletes kind of leaving their sport? And he did mention addiction. Uh, sorry, he did mention gambling specifically, saying that he thinks gambling is the is the problem in sport nowadays for athletes rather than drinking. Yeah, um, Luke's a Luke's a great guy. Um, he's been a massive support to me. Um, there was obviously the cricket connection, and and then the personal connection of both being recoveries. He's written couple of great books um he speaks very very well on the topic um and i think he's right um i would say that i'm biased but i think also statistically now um i want to say that there are more people athletes that are reaching out for support for gambling than drugs or alcohol for the first time ever um and i think the kind of conversation that we were having at the beginning about the reasons why I think that's probably um, caught up, but also it's the it's the accessibility, um, the the kind of fact that it's so normalised. Um, so yeah, it's it's certainly a big problem already, and I think it's only going to continue to be. Um, and whilst there is a lot more awareness, um, there's a lot more education. There's some great stuff being doing being done i still don't think it's taken as seriously by people um there will always I, be people slipping through the cracks won't there yeah exactly and and i think there will there will always be people harmed by anything that's addictive but what we want to do is we want to reduce the number of of people that get there in the first place but also help the people that that, that are there to realize that they're not alone that it's okay um to be in that situation and there is a way out and there is a life without gambling drugs alcohol whatever it might mm -hmm. be it's difficult isn't it because there will be when you went through this you're at a certain age where you want to enjoy life you want to you're leaving maybe your hometown or village or home uh your parents and you want to go and you know experience university go out meet new people drinking and then there becomes this 
um, you have the, uh, what's the word, you, you're independent for the first time, but that can lead to the wrong, maybe the wrong people, drugs, that kind of thing. And I think it's really difficult to let your kids, like obviously I'm a parent, you're a parent as well. We understand we have to let our kids uh, go through some difficult times to learn, but we also want to have this prevention before uh, reaction of uh, of dealing with troubling issues. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, prevention will, will always be better than cure, but as you said, I think you, you, you do need to experience things and... Um, I think it's all about balance and about moderation. And also I think it's about self-awareness. One of the greatest skills that I learned in, in rehab, and I think one of the most important skills in life is, is self-awareness. And having the understanding that if you are that type of person, you are more vulnerable when it comes to these things and that actually that knowledge is powerful. You then have a choice. Addiction starts with a choice. Um, and you have that choice and if you choose to do it well you know what the consequences can be but also you've hopefully got the self-awareness to recognize that maybe you can't do it in ways that other people can but also I think culturally things need to change in terms of this kind of concept that so often everything has to be done to excess um whether it's drinking, whether it's gambling, whether it's yeah. dr drug taking, whatever it might be, it's it's kind of this thing that oh well, you you've got to do it the most, you've got to you've got to do everything to excess. It's it's like well no, it's absolutely fine to have a drink if you can control it and be in moderation, or it's okay to not at all drink. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, and 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 I think that's one of the big concerns with gambling. When I was younger this kind of conformity you, you hit 18 and that's when you have a drink and you will you will drink everybody drinks um it looks stranger if you don't drink exactly and and people react in a in an odd yeah. way um oh why why not and there's always has to be a reason other than it's not good for me i i don't want to i i i can't control my and and i i worry about that with gambling and i've seen that change with with young people now it's well i'm 18 I'm, I'm and obviously there's people doing it before they are but i'm legally able to gamble so i will open a gambling account i will start betting on football because i like football i watch it and in order to enjoy it more i've got to gamble on it it's this kind of conformity um actually if you don't want to do it if you think there's better things to do with your money then don't do it um and have the courage and conviction to turn around to people and say not for me. Mm. So obviously this podcast is trying to kind of pass on. I, I want athletes who are listening to this and recently retired athletes as well, who may be kind of looking for advice on where to go in their, in their career. But I also want to think about there will be an 18 year old kid like yourself or 20 year old kid who might not get their contract re renewed uh, after two years as a cricketer what kind of advice would you give to someone who might feel lost as, after uh, having this um, that's all they wanted to be was a cricketer and then they don't get that contract again 
I think my my advice to anybody who is in in that situation, I think transition out of professional sport, whether you play it nine first class games like I did and, and was, let's be honest, unsuccessful in terms of my career, or you've played 150 times for your country, that transition is very difficult. Um, and understanding that navigating that period of time is going to be hard and it is going to have an impact on you and there are going to be times where it's challenging. Having that knowledge and understanding is important, but lean on lean on other people. Um, use use support networks that you have available to help you navigate that period of time, and hopefully help you find something that will make you as happy as doing what you did before. And 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 it might not be. It might not be what you ever thought you were going to do or what you wanted to do, but actually there there is kind of um, a different path and a different route. But also look back on what you have achieved and realize that actually you've probably been a lot more successful than a lot of people and you've probably achieved way more than most people could, could ever dream of. Um, and that's really important as well. Um, and it's something that I, for a long time, I just saw myself as as a kind of failed professional cricketer. Um, and it's something that I battled with. That was, as far as I was concerned, my identity. And actually now, having been through what I do, I, I'm i now proud of the fact that I can say I've, I've played professional yeah. cricket. And people can look at me and say, yeah, but you weren't, it weren't very good um and and they might be right but i was better than most people exactly um and i don't think that's uh i don't think that's me being arrogant because for a long time i was very arrogant um and i would like to think that i'm not now but it's it's important it's an important thing to remember and do when dealing with that that moment and that difficulty and if it has been cut shorter than you wanted it to for whatever reason, well, you can still look back with, with pride. Um, and, and that's really important for your, your kind of mental health. 